PFG Private Wealth Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. The topics and information discussed during this podcast are not intended to provide tax or legal advice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed insurance agents. The rules of retirement have changed. No longer can most of us rely on Social Security or a single pension to fund our futures. We're living longer and retirement doesn't just last a handful of years anymore. Instead, you might stay retired for 20 or 30 years and maybe even more. We need to look at retirement through a new lens with fresh eyes, with a new approach and plan of attack. Here to answer the call are financial advisors John Texera and Nick McDevitt of PFG Private Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Tampa Bay area. This podcast is Retirement Planning Redefined, and it starts right now. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's Retirement Planning Redefined with John and Nick from PFG Private Wealth. Got a little two-parter going on this uh, podcasting episode. We're going to spend this one and the next one talking about some Social Security myths, kind of the top Social Security myths. Uh, Some of these certainly I've heard and many of the guys have heard and maybe even the listeners have heard, but there's a few in here maybe you haven't. And hopefully it'll help you out a little bit if you've ever wondered uh, you know, some of the questions or things that we hear on the news all the time now or, you know, constantly making the rounds online. So, again, we're going to break this into a two-parter. So if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do so at pfgprivatewealth.com. That's pfgprivatewealth.com. Just hit the uh, subscribe button or heart button or whatever it is on various different apps you might have already on your phone, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or whatever the case might be. In that regard. So, with that said, we got a lot to get through. We're going to get, uh, we got five this week and five for the next episode as well. So, let's dive in, get started. Nick, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Good, good. Just uh, staying busy. Had some family in town this weekend, which is nice to visit, which tends to be a trend this time of year. But yeah, yeah um, we're yeah, taping this right after season. Easter. So, yeah. 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 And then, uh, you know, tax season is always uh, entertaining. Oh, busy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, yeah. So, we're just plugging. Good, good, good. John, how are you, my friend? Doing good, doing good. Just uh, celebrated my uh, oldest daughter's seventh birthday, and I'm like, man, she is... Uh, Where does it go? When she hits school, it's like, man, this is going by much faster than I anticipated. <laughs> yeah, it always does. Yeah. Yep, minus, 20, yeah. minus 25. She'll be home this week, actually, uh, for a couple of days from the Navy, and and yeah, I'm like, God, 25? Really? Stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, uh, it, it only speeds up, my friend, so... Good luck with all that. But happy birthday to her. All right, let's get into some Social Security myths. Neither one of our kids, John, will need this anytime soon. But for a lot of our listeners, uh, Social Security is certainly a, a top, you know, a, a big topic of conversation. Uh, whether you're, I think you're, you know, fifty plus, I think like anything financially related from a retirement standpoint, we start paying a little bit more attention, maybe get a little bit more nervous about some things that we see and hear. So let's jump in and talk about some of these myths. Number one, uh, whoever wants to tackle this, I'll let you guys go. Uh, the Social Security Administration will help you make the best. Decision decision about when you should start your benefit. I'll jump in on this one. So although I have heard some reports from clients recently where some of the kind of information and or slash, I wouldn't call it advice, but information has been more comprehensive when they've had appointments with uh, Social Security. 
it's definitely not going to be the primary resource that uh, one wants to use as far as helping them to make their decision. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, this is one of those things where the social security decision should be heavily, or for most people at least, is heavily dependent upon the rest of the um, parts of the kind of the planning and the scenario. Is there a pension involved? When is retirement? Is one spouse still working? you know, while the other is retired. So there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into, you know, deciding and figuring out which uh, option scenario are best. And, and a lot of times, you know, one of the things that's come up quite a bit with people is we try to explain to them that it's almost kind of a two-part decision where three to five years out, we have a good um, outlook and projection of when we expect to take it. Uh, but at the same time, in reality, what ends up happening is that, you know, the the shorter term or like micro, more of a micro decision tends to be um, impacted by existing, you know, factors that come up. So for yeah, example, right. a spouse gets laid off and retirement for them happens sooner than expected, or the market's going haywire and we want to dial back on withdrawals that were taken from investment accounts, you know, those sorts of things. So having the ability to be able to pivot is important. So, but having a broad overall plan for, you know, in general, when you want to take it is, is obviously the most important. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, they just don't know your personal complete situation. So they can give you some ideas on, you know, I'm sure the best overall or, well, you know I mean? Not the best overall, but just looking at some of the claiming options that you have available to you, but how that's going to play with everything else, they're going to not have any clue to that because they don't know your financial situation. So uh, that's the first one. Uh, myth number two, John, you want to tackle this one? Uh, you won't get any social security if you're a stay at home mom. Um, that's not exactly right either. Yeah, yeah. Let me. J- I'll jump on this one, um, and then also I want to go back to sure. myth number one. One thing um, I have also noticed that people need to be wary of is, um, you know, calling Social Security and getting wrong information. I've actually had multiple calls with clients, and you know, the representative didn't necessarily know exactly, you know, maybe what was being asked, and they basically gave the client bad information where we had to call up together. And ask, and and it really affected the client's uh, strategy that they were going to use. Because at first they were kind of like, "Well, this is what Social Security told me," and and mm. you know we do did our due diligence, realized like, "Hey, no, that's not accurate." So we we called up once, uh, continued got bad information. Then we had to call back again. There's actually like specialists that we were able to talk to mm. that basically gave us the right information, which you know in her case was. You know, ended up being quite a bit of money that she um, ended up gaining by able to do you know some some widow benefits where you know, oh yeah that's good that's good to know she yeah. would have known so yeah, yeah I just wanted to add that in because I've seen it happen a couple of times no so, absolutely yeah you know and as far as um, not being eligible as a stay at home uh, spouse basically um, you know that 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 is a myth um, you know there are spousal benefits and um, if you qualify for those you're, you're eligible to get half of the other spouse's full retirement benefit. Um, you know, it's different strategies that one can implement in that situation, but you are eligible for some spousal benefits, even if you are not working and have earned credits into Social Security. Yeah. And so I think some of the confusion and a lot of times of how these myths start is usually it's a, like a, it's kind of close, but maybe a little off. So if you're talking about your own individual you know, benefit, you have to work, what is it, 40 quarters, I think, through through your lifetime, which is 10 years, I think, total in order to qualify. But to your point, if you're married, and and I think there's a caveat there too, is it not that you have to be married at least 10 years, I think, is that what it is to get the spousal? 
Correct. Married 10 years yeah. is the case. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple little caveats, but I think that's how myths kind of get started and get kind of uh, kind of skewed out of proportion. So, yeah, if you're married and you've been a stay-at-home mom raising the kids the whole time, you are still eligible to uh, for your spouses. Uh, so certainly uh, good information to know there as well. All right, myth number three, you won't pay taxes on Social Security since you already paid taxes on that money when you paid it into the system. Once upon a time, that was true, but it's no longer true, right? Oh, yeah. Um, if you want to get somebody fired up, um, this is <laughs> this is the way to do it. Yeah. So for the what we try to explain to people is that for most people, most households kind of, you know, middle class and up about 85 percent of their Social Security income is going to be includable in their taxable income. So there is a chart and, and it is dependent upon the other income sources that are coming into the household. But for the uh, like I said, for the most part, most people are going to have their income uh, up to eighty five percent of their social security income includable in the amount of taxable income that they have. So it is important for people to understand that there's a difference between kind of you know that hey, it's taxed at x amount rate or something like that mm-hmm. because there is confusion in there. So that eighty five percent of the number just is you know taxed at whatever effective tax rate they're in. So for most people, you know, they're going to fall into the 10 to 12, 13% effective rate. So it's not a huge, you know, overall impact, but because, you know, it is considered like a payroll tax that funds it, you know, there is a little bit of firing up that happens when, uh, you know, from an emotional standpoint where, you know, the thought process is, well, well hey, I pay taxes yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it and, is. Yeah. And, and, and I was going to say, I, I was going to say, just to mean to cut you off, but I think where people also kind of uh, don't realize this is a good place where strategy comes into play, right? Because how you're pulling your income, it's your income levels that's going to determine how much that this could get hit. So again, Social Security should be part of an overall overall strategy and not just, oh, I'm pulling money out of X, Y, and Z account. And then also I have this Social Security thing. You want them all working together, right? Yeah. And, and the reality is, and you know, people don't necessarily want to want to always hear it this way but the reality is is that you know social security payments through your payroll while you're working are essentially you know i try to kind of tell people like essentially you're paying into a pension is you know kind of what you're doing sure um so you're you're kind of paying into a pension so it is done via payroll tax but in reality that's kind of what's um what's happening yeah uh john anything you want to add on that one I, well, I guess the one thing would be, as you mentioned, strategy. You know, if if you find yourself in a position where your Social Security is going to be taxed, maybe you have to take extra income in a given year. A Roth IRA would be a great spot for it, mm. um, because that does not count towards your modified adjusted gross income in this case for the calculation. So, so maybe looking yeah, at ways to lower your taxable, like your income, your taxable income limit. So just to kind of help with that strategy. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's important. And, and if you know, if you tune into this podcast often you kind of hear Nick and I always say, you know, you want to put yourself in a position to adapt to any situation and, and have balance. So that's where yeah. that's where that's important. Where it's like, hey, you know, I have to take some money out this year, you know, health, whatever, house, you know, as we as, as we were chatting offline of uh house issues and contractors. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh you know, Roth could be a good spot to take from where it doesn't affect your income. Okay. And I mean to get off topic, same thing goes with Medicare. As you have too much income, you know, your Medicare premiums might go up. So yeah. planning is very important. Exactly. Strategy is completely important in how it might affect that particular myth. 
All right, let's do the last two here are some of the big ones, and these are the ones that get people most you know, concerned or whatever. Myth number four, there won't be any Social Security left by the time you get to retirement. I just don't feel like this is, you know, probably going to just I don't can't see any politician being standing up there and doing it. It's too much of a hot potato. Um, they're going to continue to kick the can down the road. And I think there's going to be something uh, in some form or fashion. Could changes be coming? Sure. But the whole concept of it's just going to go away just seems uh, like a lot of fluff to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, changes are already happening. We already see kind of the cap limit toward, for income going towards Social Security. That's been increasing. Um, you know, so you know, there are some updates that we see happening. And this is really an actuarial problem. So it's a matter of just being like, okay, this is what we need to do to fix it, and it will be fixed. Um, you mm -hmm. know, what most people. What's interesting is I just got a question last week on this from a client because they read an article about the trust fund will be exhausted between you know 2032 or 2034 if no changes happen um so their concern was hey is this is is the money going to be there and and the answer is you know your benefits will still be coming in because it's funded through payroll so there'll be people paying to the system while people are drawing out right you know, and we do have a problem there that is a concern right <laughs> i mean if you look at those numbers there's way less people paying in now than people pulling out which is why some other changes may need to come into play but yeah i think that's where the confusion comes in too yeah exactly so i th and i believe you know a couple you know and you can look this up um if nothing changes there will be roughly a 20 to 24 percent reduction in benefits um if they don't change anything but you know we feel confident that that they'll make some adjustments Last to the program minute, yeah. to, to get everyone whole. Um, but again, it comes back to planning correctly. So are you positioned yourself to adapt to this if this were to happen? You know, if your Social Security benefits were to get cut, you know, how does that affect your plan and what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you hear yeah. all sorts of strategies out there, Nick, right? I've, I've heard the one that if they just eliminate the early at 62 and even moved it to 64 or just said, no, it's just we're just dropping the early and it's you're 66 or 67, depending on your full retirement age, it could fund it for like another 100 years. Uh, then they're talking about means testing. So there's a lot of things on the table. They just haven't pulled the trigger on, on any way of to actually kind of replenish it yet. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating because like John said, I mean, there is kind of a science to calculating this when you're talking about this many people from an actuarial standpoint, you know, literally from like you had mentioned, increasing the initial, you know, early retirement age from 62, you know, or even starting to phase it in like they have in the past as far as what they consider full retirement age, starting to move that towards kind of an average of 65 would make a huge difference adjusting the cap as far as, you know, the max amount of income that gets, you know, that you pay into social security on right. if they adjusted that up. So it's, it's frustrating because, you know, I guess like so many other things and without going on a rant, it tends to be quite political. And unfortunately what tends to happen is instead of it, you know, being the small adjustments that can make a huge difference, uh, what tends to be in the news is, uh, more of like, yes or no, will it be there or will it not, you know, versus like, hey, we can start to just adjust these numbers and make yeah. these, you know, people are living longer, so we can figure this out. So it's well, the doom uh, and gloom makes a better headline, too. Yeah, so for sure. You know, I mean, look at what's happening, been happening in France, right, for the last month. Right, they're totally upset over pushing their um, pensioner, which is basically the same thing yep. that we have, back two years. Right, so you know it's it's there's options there. It's just a matter of 
you know, what's going to be acceptable. And I think for many of us, if you're probably 50 or over, the chances of it be affecting you greatly are probably diminished. I, I can certainly see, though, changes to the ages or things like that affecting people. You know, they say, okay, born from this date down, uh, sure. you're going to see some changes, right? So possibility, yep. but just the, qu- the quote unquote, you know, well, it's empty, it's gone, no one gets a check ever, uh, I think is just kind of silly. So, yeah. Uh, all right, final one, guys, and this kind of rolls into that prior one as well. As it's myth number five is go ahead and claim it as soon as possible, turn it on as soon as you possibly can. And I think again, whoever wants to answer this first, but if you need the money, that's one thing, right? Turning it on because the strategy makes sense because you need the money, but turning it on because you think it's going to run out is maybe not the best way to look at that. Yeah, we tend to agree. You know, taking it when you're first eligible is very rarely a best bet you know you give up significant benefits by taking it when you're first eligible at age 62 and it kind of dovetails a little bit into what we had talked about uh just on the previous question where you know people that were at the point in time where their full retirement age was 65 so 62 is only three years before that period of time the reduction, which is about a half a percent per month before your full retirement age, it didn't have as big of an impact. But now with full retirement age, for many people being, you know, 66 and a half to 67, now we're talking, you know, a, a wider gap of years, you know, four and a half to five years. So that the compounding effect of that early benefit is significant. So it has a, a really big impact for people that take it really early when they don't necessarily have to. And I get more kind of uh, regretful responses from people that took it early, um, not understanding the full situation than I do from people that waited and had more of a strategy for, for when to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, uh, on that, take it as soon as possible, John? Yeah. You know, I think it comes back to like, like we said, you know, what is the person's situation? Um, I, I rarely see situations where if someone doesn't need it, taking it early makes sense. The only time is, is if there's, you know, significant health issue or something like that. Um, right. But then you also have to think about survivor planning. So there's a lot of variables that you got to think about and does it make sense? Yeah. And just to dovetail off of that, John mentioned the survivor planning, where sometimes as an example, one person in a couple taking it earlier and using that to leverage the other person waiting much longer, you know, that combination can work out sometimes. Yeah, you know, a work couple really, strategies. Really well. right. Yeah, yeah. So factoring in both strategies, letting one ramp up and, and using the other one to, you know, make it easier on, on the overall nest egg, you know, sometimes that can make sense. But you know, this is always something that we use. We have different calculators to to strategize for social security and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we try to be as strategic as possible. Yeah. And John, yeah. I think you were referring to the break point, right? So you're talking about like when you're turning it on, uh, you can run some calculations and see what that break even point would be if you turn it on early versus waiting. Obviously, health plays a factor, but you guys can kind of stress test those numbers as well to see the best the best chance or the best uh, option. Yeah. So we, we have different programs, which is great, where one, we just look at social security in a vacuum. And basically it's, hey, let's look at, you know, taking now versus, uh, you know, 67, if that's the person's for retirement age. And we can look at the break even, which typically is, you know, mid 70s uh, in that scenario. Then we have our financial, our comprehensive planning tool, which takes into account other factors of, well, if you take it early, 
your investments can build up a little bit longer? What if you take it early and save it? So you can really put in different factors on it. Um, but one thing people really need to think about if they take it early, and we've seen this uh, lately, is the cost of living adjustment. So those, those in the last few years have been pretty significant. So when you take it early, you know, you're still going to get those cost of living adjustments, but they would have been much greater had you waited because the balance is bigger that you'll be getting monthly. So. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, again, there's a lot to the social security strategies, the conversation. Uh, these were some of the bigger ones. We're going to do a second part with five more myths on the uh, in a couple of weeks here. Uh, so make sure you tune in and check that out. But as always, if you've got questions, if you need some help, especially when it comes to claiming strategies and maybe running a maximization strategy to see what you know the best option is going to be, don't just run out and, and do something. And also don't treat it as a separate entity from everything else that you've set aside for retirement. Uh, it really is about them all working together in a cohesive plan. And that's what John and Nick and the team can help you out with. So if you need some help and you're not already working with them, jump onto the calendar at pfgprivatewealth.com for a consultation and conversation. That's pfgprivatewealth.com. Get yourself some time onto the calendar. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can do so while you're there as well. So there's a little drop-down tab for podcast. Uh, we're on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good stuff. So again, pfgprivatewealth.com is where you can find them online. And uh, we always appreciate your time here on Retirement Planning Redefined. For John and Nick, I'm your host, Mark, and we'll see you next time for more Social Security Myths.